0: Hello, this is Chris Parova. Welcome to another episode of the Strategy Skills Podcast. Our podcast sponsor today is strategytraining.com. If you want to strengthen your strategy skills, get the overall approach used in well-managed strategy studies, it is a free download. Go to firmsconsulting.com forward slash overall approach. Today we are speaking with Akshay Swaminathan, Akshay is a data scientist who works on strengthening health systems. He earned a degree in statistics from Harvard University and is an MD candidate and Knight Hennessy Scholar at Stanford University School of Medicine. He has more than 40 peer-reviewed publications, and his work has been featured in the New York Times. He currently leads the data science team at Cerebral. Welcome, Akshay.
1: Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me.
0: Akshay, what was the spark that first got you interested in becoming a data scientist?
1: Well, you know, for the longest time, I knew I wanted to go into medicine. And in college, I had an opportunity to uh, do public health work in Bolivia, working with uh, low research communities there, working with indigenous populations there. And uh, you know, we were doing things like teaching health workshops and and building uh, you know toilets and things like that. and uh, at the time, I, I was a biology major in in college and, you know, working with these communities started getting me thinking about, you know, population determinants of health, right? Why is it that these folks, they don't have running water, there's no sewage system, they don't have access to healthcare, but just a, you know, 20-minute drive away in the city center, uh, people are, uh, you know, benefiting from high-speed Wi-Fi and, and hot showers, Right, so it it got me thinking about uh, what are the, you know, population level determinants uh, of health outcomes, and that's kind of what uh, made me switch my major from biology to statistics, uh, so that I could answer questions at the at the population level. So that's uh, kind of what got me interested in in data and data science, which is all about uh, you know understanding large data sets and and population level trends.
0: And I saw your TEDx talk. Great job. And thank you for being the kind of person who is trying to make the world better. We really need more leaders like you right now. So let's start with defining the role of data scientist because people have all kinds of definitions. What are the specific skills needed to actually be a data scientist?
1: Right. So the the word data scientist is actually quite a vague term. It's really an umbrella term that uh, includes so many different types of roles. You have uh, data analysts who are you know, dealing with uh, data tables and databases and generating reports and dashboards. You have, um, you know, data visualization experts who maybe are dealing with business intelligence tools uh, like Looker, Power BI, Tableau, generating uh, data visualizations. You have data scientists who are uh, using statistics and and machine learning maybe to answer, uh, answer questions. Uh, you have data engineers, right, who are designing the way data flows in and out of different sources. Uh, so all of these roles uh, fall under the umbrella term of, of data science. And so, uh, you know, when we're talking about the role of a data science, it's, it's important to pinpoint exactly, you know, which of those we're talking about, because there are so many skills uh, that are included in that term.
0: So in leading your team, what kind of skills you are seeking for your team to perform at an optimal level?
1: So our team at at Cerebral, we uh, our data science and our data team comprises a number of different roles, right? So we do have data analysts, and these folks are responsible for um, managing our business intelligence uh, platforms, right? So we've set up a system for all the business, all the non-technical people at the company to have access to the company's data, and this is great because it allows non-technical users to play with data and uncover their own insights, so that the data team is not a bottleneck uh, in discovering those insights. And so our data analysts uh, help manage those tools for the the non-technical folks uh, to interface with the data. Right. So we use Looker. So our data analysts are uh, constantly bringing new data sources into Looker. Uh, They're teaching our non-technical folks how to use that data. We also have engineers who are responsible for designing the data flows and the data processing pipelines uh, so that the data that the the business people can end up using is clean and, and high quality. Uh, our data and we also have a, a machine learning engineering team and and they're responsible for putting out data products right So at cerebral uh, we're a we're a large telehealth platform, right we we provide psychiatry therapy services to clients uh, all across the country. And so our machine learning team is all about, uh, building data products that make the lives of patients and clinicians better. Right. So, if a clinician needs to uh, know, for example, hey, my patient is suicidal, uh, we need to notify that clinician immediately. And so, we, you know, design a, a a machine learning powered system that can, you know, identify that data, identify those patients, and alert clinicians in in near real time. So, our machine learning team builds those models, deploys those models within our data ecosystem. So we have a, a wide variety of, of roles on our data team.
0: Actually, and you have such a demanding role, you are studying and you recently co-wrote a book. How do you find time for all of those things?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a good question. I mean, the truth is uh, we all make trade-offs, right? So um, I'm fortunate where, uh, there's flexibility in in all of my roles, right? In in my my school in med school, they actually give us a lot of freedom to decide how uh, how to spend our time. Of course, we have clinical obligations, um, but in terms of coursework, um, the way the curriculum is set up at, at Stanford, it, it gives each student a lot of uh, flexibility to decide, uh, you know, how they want to spend their time. So, you know, many of my peers spend, you know, dozens of hours a week on research on on service work, on writing. Uh, and so I've chosen to take that time and and put it into my work at Cerebral and and some of these other projects. And for me, you know, in the future, I want to be at this intersection of of medicine and and data because I, I feel that that's where I can make the biggest impact. And I'm fortunate to be able to, to work on that, uh, you know, now itself.
0: And what is your vision in terms of your contribution that you want to make?
1: So, you know, when I think about what are the biggest problems in healthcare right now, Uh, we have a delivery problem, right? Uh, It's really about getting the right treatment to the right patient at the right time. And, you know, in a lot of cases, we have the treatment, but we're not able to deliver it, right? Uh, For example, you know, in uh, let's even take mental health as an example. We have effective treatments for depression, for anxiety, uh, but people just don't have access, right? Why? Because it's too expensive. Because uh, there are not enough local therapists all around the country. Not, al- not enough local psychiatrists all around the country. So that's a delivery problem, right? And so I believe that data and data science can play a huge role in addressing that delivery gap, right? And that's what—that's uh, th- really the impact that I hope to have. And you know what we're trying to do at Cerebral is. Uh, use data to augment the power of clinicians so that they can treat more patients more effectively. Um, Some of my other work in the the global health field, we've tried to use data to bring low-cost diagnostics, low-cost treatments to people in rural places. You know, one of the things we worked on was uh, a low-cost, basically an iPad game uh, that can diagnose children with early childhood cognitive impairment right and we deployed this tool in rural villages in india right now that's an example of a of a delivery solution right if you're growing up as a child in a rural village in india you might not see a doctor or a or a psychologist until you're you know much older and by that point it might be too late but with tech driven solutions like these you can give this iPad to a community health worker and just have them go house to house and identify children uh, who need this uh, you know, early intervention. So that's just one example of how technology can bridge this delivery gap that we have in healthcare. And, and that's really the impact that I want to have.
0: Again, thank you for being the kind of leader you are. So let's talk a little more about the book. So regardless of industry we are or will be soon using data science more and more, every business needs to understand how to use data. It just, we cannot get away from it based on what's happening in the world. And very few of us actually have the tools to understand what data means, know which data we should be collecting, how to collect it, who we should hire. Do we have the budget to hire people we need to hire? So how does your book prepare people and businesses for this? Who should read your book?
1: So we're at a time right now where there's unprecedented levels of interest and hype in data science and and AI, and there's so many resources out there for people who want to become data scientists and for, for people who want to learn how to do, uh, you know, technical work. But the truth is that most of us are not going to become data scientists. Most people are not going to change their role and and all of a sudden start writing code all day. But what is going to happen is that everyone, or almost everyone, is going to need to work with data scientists, right? Every business is going to need to uh, incorporate data as a core part of uh, as a core part of their business, and so we need to coach people, coach business leaders, and coach non technical people. How do you effectively collaborate with data scientists so that you can get the most out of uh, their expertise, and so that you can get the most, uh, you know, value out of data for your business. And so that's what the book is all about. It's a book for people who work with data scientists and teaching them how to be effective stakeholders. How do you ask the right questions? How do you question and challenge the right assumptions? Uh, what are the the basics that you need to know to speak the language of data science? So that was the motivation for for writing the book. It's targeted for uh, really, anyone anyone with at least a you know high school level understanding of of basic math and statistics, it's extremely approachable. We even wrote it. It's not even a typical business or data science book. It's actually written more like a storybook, where we we have these two characters, Steve and Kamala, who are both business uh, business leaders. Kamala is at an insurance company, a health insurance company. Steve is at a a finance firm, and the book is about their journeys. Uh, solving business problems using data. So you see how they interact with the data teams at their respective companies, and we've kind of written these dialogues to reflect how these conversations look in the real world, um, so that people can understand. Okay, what does an effective dialogue look like between a data team and a business, uh, uh, you know, a business person, business stakeholder? Um, so that's a that's a brief. Um, you know, think about what the book is about. It's it's really uh, for everyone. And I think it's more timely now than ever.
0: Definitely. I actually published three books like that, which use the story to teach skills, maybe turquoise Eyes and Succeeding as a Management Consultant. I love to learn that way. And I think we need more books like that, even though they are not usually selling as well as specifically nonfiction books. They're actually very powerful. Hopefully they will become more popular over time. So I know that you used your own personal experiences in the book. So let's discuss what made you decide to do that and how did this process help you develop the story and where did you find the inspiration to do it that way?
1: Well, some of the most effective people I've worked with in my career have been data-savvy product people, right? Or data-savvy you know, business people who know enough about data to speak the language, maybe they don't know enough to actually do the analyses, but they know the right questions to ask, right? They know uh, how to identify assumptions and how to challenge those assumptions. And they know how to uh, how to communicate their domain expertise to data teams so that collaboratively we can make the best decisions, right? I encountered so many of these types of people at, at Flatiron Health, at Cerebral, and uh, working with them led to more effective data collaborations, right? And uh, that was really the inspiration for the book because, you know, I've been on some projects that didn't have someone like that, right? A strong business leader with data, uh, you know, some knowledge of data science who could speak the language. And so, I mean, one example of that, uh, you know, we were trying to build a, a model to predict when clients would leave uh, when when basically patients would uh, leave their treatment, and um, we thought this was uh, you know an important business problem, and so we built this model. At the end of the day, no one ended up using the model, right? It was it was kind of a waste. And the reason uh, this happened is because you know the the business folks that we partnered with, um, they weren't as effective collaborators um, as they could have been, right? And as a result, we didn't identify. The key, pes- the, the key business problem um, from the get-go, right? We didn't build a solution that the teams really needed. And so, uh, I mean, this is just one small example. Uh, at a much larger scale, this happens all the time, actually, where data teams are given a project and they're basically let loose. And without the right guidance and uh, collaboration with a business partner, you end up wasting, you know, so much time and and money and effort. Um, and, and so that's really uh, what prompted us to, to write this. And that was, uh, you know, a lot of the the inspiration for the characters here were some of the amazing product colleagues that I've worked with um, in my previous roles.
0: Didn't that project when model was not used, how did you moved past it because i can imagine the amount of effort just knowing a little bit about you i can see that you really put in a lot into your work how did you move past the fact that you did all that work and it's not used
1: well you know luckily we were able to repurpose that work at a later time when the business need was more pressing and so you know, sometimes you have to know when to cut your losses, right? Uh, some cost fallacy is a, it's a tricky one to get right. But, you know, basically when we realized, okay, this is not, this is not going anywhere. We put it aside and moved on later on. We actually revisited that work and we were able to repurpose it and, and make something that um, that was more useful and that in that, that did end up getting used. Um, uh, so we were, we were lucky with that case.
0: You're right that key decision makers risk getting distracted by the buzz around deep learning and artificial intelligence. It's just everywhere now, large language models. What would be your advice on an effective way to prioritize and understand what you should pay attention to, what you should not pay attention to, especially if you're a business leader, you're not data scientist, you're not working really with data on a day-to-day basis, but you have teams under you and you need to understand what is going on
1: my advice would be always start with the problems, right? Uh, Don't don't look for hammers or or basically don't pick a hammer and start looking for nails, Uh, find the problems and then pick the right tool to solve those, right? So right now uh, we are inundated with news about new fancy hammers, right? A new large language model that comes out, a new application that does this, a new uh, tool that does that. Um, But the truth is that um, the usefulness of these tools is only as, uh, you know, big as the business problem that they solve, right? So the truth is that a lot of business problems don't need deep learning. A lot of business problems don't need generative AI, right? I'll give you a good example. At Cerebral, we've rolled out personalized data reports for every single one of our clinicians, Right. And over the last few years, we've sent out you know tens of thousands of these reports. These are basically personalized reports for every therapist, every prescriber that shows them key data on their patients, on their care delivery, patient satisfaction, how many patients are staying in treatment for how, how long, how are their symptoms changing over time. There is zero machine learning on these reports. <laughs> there is zero generative AI in these reports but they're so useful for our clinicians to understand the patients, uh, that they're serving because otherwise, you know, the, uh, I'll tell you most medical practices and most, uh, especially most mental health practices, they don't have any system for clinicians to quantitatively track the progress of their patients and see at a glance, okay, how many patients am I responsible for? Who are the most high acuity? And so, you know, uh, that was the problem that we were trying to solve. And it turns out you can solve this problem with just very simple descriptive statistics, right? Uh, the denominator is how many patients I'm responsible for total. The numerator is how many of those patients have you know, uh, come to their appointment in the last week, for example, right? Um, s- with simple metrics like that, uh, you can actually deliver so much value. Um, and so my advice is always start with the problems, don't get caught up in these shiny tools Uh, If there's an application for those shiny tools, great, but oftentimes uh, the methods that you need are simpler than you might think.
0: 100%. The amount of time you're saving to those doctors that they can just get all the information very quickly. Another day I was passing by someone, I was going for a walk and there was a guy standing on the sidewalk talking to someone on the phone very loudly. So I couldn't help but hearing what they're saying. And he was a doctor and he was getting the information, but one by one. So he asks a question, person replies. That is much more time consuming and he can help less people because he's spending so much time. Exactly. So... What is your message to businesses who may not have the resources to invest in a trained data scientist, but still want to take advantage of the benefits of data science? So we have some of our listeners who may be running a medium-sized consulting mm-hmm. business, and they don't really have budget to hire data scientists or another type of business. And they want to take advantage of what's going on, but they don't know how to go about it with a limited budget.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think a useful framework here is identifying uh, where you are as a business on the data driven spectrum, right? So, a level one, let's call it a level one business, right? These folks, data is not a huge part about how they operate day to day. Um, Maybe some of them are not even collecting much data others might be collecting some data but it's living in you know random csvs or random spreadsheets and they're not really sure how to get started so for these folks how can they get to you know the next level level 2 right so my suggestion here would be one if you're not collecting data start by collecting some data and ideally collect data in an automated way right um, so if you're a, if you're a, you know if you're running a medium sized Uh, consulting service, right? Um, Try to get your clients to send you data in an automated way. Um, Use data to uh, calculate important business metrics. Um, Maybe you have data living in spreadsheets and you want to visualize that data. A great tool to do that is, uh, you know, Power BI, uh, a business intelligence tool like Power BI. You can get a free, um, you know, free trials of these services. And it offers a really easy way to go from spreadsheets, which, you know, almost everyone uses spreadsheets to creating data dashboards. And it it's kind of a lightweight uh, introduction um, to data modeling databases and, and uh, you know, creating your own data ecosystem. So I, I would say, you know, that's a good first step. Um, if you find yourself dealing with a lot of spreadsheets that are just, Totally disorganized. Another uh, good stepping stone could be Airtable, right? Which is kind of an intermediate between spreadsheets and a, a full-on uh, a database. Um, so it's a little bit more user-friendly, but all, offers some, you know, better capabilities than than Excel. So um, those are some, you know, quick solutions for people who are just trying to get their feet wet with uh, data started quickly.
0: Actually, and do you believe that someone who is running a medium-sized consulting firm should be thinking about those things, or do they have time to delay and think about it two years from now?
1: Well, you know, what I would say is um, every business has success metrics, right? Whether they think about them or not, there are certain metrics that can be tracked that will determine the success of of your business, right? Uh, maybe that's your, you know, conversion rate. Maybe that's your client retention. Uh, maybe that's, um, you know, employee retention, right? Uh, all businesses have these success metrics. Um, I think the important piece is, um, you know, what what gets measured uh, has the opportunity to improve, right? Um, so if you're not measuring these things, if you're not thinking in terms of success metrics, uh, you're just going to be slower to achieve them. Right, so uh, I think that would be my my main advice to to even the small, medium sized uh, businesses. Thinking about what are your success metrics, how do you define them? Uh, what's the numerator? What's the denominator? How do these things uh, change over time, and how can you start tracking these? Um, I I think you know every business uh, has those.
0: And also, if your competitors are using those tools and you are not using them, you're at a disadvantage. Sure,
1: I mean. Um, you know, we're seeing that now with with AI, right? Uh, this is one place where, you know, AI is making a big impact in efficiency gains, right? We're seeing that. Uh, you know, I just I just saw recently Duolingo uh, laid off a large number of their contractors because they're using AI to create content now, right? So I can imagine if you're in a you know content generation industry, you need to start using AI. That's because that's what everyone's doing, and they're getting. know, huge efficiency gains. So, you know, before we were talking more about business metrics and and solving business problems and things like that, but this is one case where uh, the tools have been shown to be effective, right? Uh, Generative AI is great for generating text and generating content. So yes, in that sense, if your competitors are doing it and you're not, uh, they're going to have a leg up.
0: What are some of your favorite tools for content creation when it comes to AI?
1: Um, I am a big fan of uh, just using, you know, GPT, I uh, either the user interface or the API. And now they have, um, you know, retrieval augmented generation, right, which allows you to upload documents, PDFs, uh, things like that. And you can generate content around those files. It's a great uh, great functionality. I would encourage everyone to try that. And what's great about it is, even if you have no coding experience, there are all these you know open source tools, um, or sorry, not open source, but uh, UI, basically UIs uh, that you can you point and click interfaces to to do this stuff. And so, you know, I pay the the twenty bucks a month to get access to GPT four because for me it saves uh, it, it saves a ton of time. It's it's an incredibly worthwhile investment for me.
0: So going back to your book, Steve and Kamala. By the way, your co-author has a middle name, Steve. Is it connected?
1: It is. Well, he he's uh, his middle name is. Uh, um, it basically, comes from his. I believe it's his uncle, and so he uh, he named uh, the character after him.
0: So Steve and Kamala, I occasionally. And, and
1: by the way, I should say mm-hmm. Kamala is my grandmother's name. So we both named the characters. Uh, based off of our our relatives,
0: and that's how it usually works. Yeah. some meaning to the names. I have the same right. in my books. So Steve and Kamala are occasionally frustrated because it feels like they aren't on the same page as their data scientist colleagues. How do they overcome this disconnect in the story? And what is your advice to people who face similar issues in their work?
1: Yeah, this is a you know common things that, a common thing that comes up, right? You have a a non-technical person talking with a data person. And sometimes it feels like they're just not on the same page. They're not speaking the same language. Um, now, this can actually be a good thing, right? It's good to have people with different perspectives uh, and different areas of expertise coming together to solve the same problem. And we see this, for example, in Kamala's case where, excuse me, they're trying to build a model to predict uh, which patients are better suited for surgery versus a non surgical option uh, when dealing with back pain, right? And they're trying to decide okay, what does this mean, better suited? How do you define that? How do you define that outcome? And so, you know, Kamala is coming with the clinical perspective, right? Um, and she's thinking about measuring um, uh, things like clinical outcomes, right? Um, Whereas you have the data team, and the data team is saying, like, oh, but we don't have data on that, right? We only have data on things like, uh, you know, healthcare expenditure, healthcare utilization. And then Kamala says, okay, but does the amount of money that someone spends on healthcare really correlate well to their health? And so you have this discussion, and actually, this is a really insightful. Um, discussion, because there's a tension here, right? There's a tension between what you want to measure and what you can measure. right? So Kamala is coming with the with the clinical perspective of what do we want to measure? What is the gold standard, right? Uh, but the data team is coming with the perspective, of, okay, what is the data that we have? And so together, they had this dialogue and ultimately align on um, you know a metric that is, although it's imperfect, it's probably the best thing that they could have come up with given the real world constraints, right? And what made this conversation um, effective is that they were both able to understand where the other person was coming from. And part of this is just simple vocabulary, right? Um, Kamala, when the data team uses words like inclusion criteria, exclusion criteria, prediction window, observation window, uh, you know feature, uh, data field, right missing data right. Kamala is able to understand those words and and relate to them. Um, and similarly she's able to express uh, you know her clinical expertise in terms that the data team can understand, right So uh, that kind of crosstalk, um, allows them to uh, make progress and ultimately land on something that is a, a good compromise.
0: Your book also dives into questions about quality of data, something very important, how useful the data is, data sources. What are your thoughts on those topics?
1: I think they're often neglected. I think oftentimes the focus is on uh, picking, picking a model, picking a fancy model, uh, and measuring the performance but as we like to say garbage in garbage out right uh so many studies have shown that uh, you know uh, complex models like neural networks perform just as well as some of the simplest models regression model linear regression logistic regression um, and that what's much more important than the actual choice of model is the quality of the data right so uh businesses need to invest a lot into making sure that the quality of the data that they're bringing in is of the highest order, right? So this means, are you collecting your data from everyone? Is your data representative of everyone? Does your data have, uh, you know, a lot of missingness? Is it lossy, right? Um, How high resolution is the data? Um, How, yeah, how how complete is it, right? You know, these are the things that, and also are you measuring the things that matter? Are you collecting data on the things that matter? Um, or are you just collecting what's convenient uh, and designing you know, and using proxy variables, right? So these are all the questions that, you know, um, people don't usually think, people don't usually associate these with data science. People think data science and they think, oh, writing complex code or doing sophisticated math. But a lot of the the hard work and most important work in data science is ensuring the quality of the the data that's being fed into the models.
0: Very true. And connected to this discussion is biases, this myth of the single study. Let's talk about biases. What are your thoughts? How to avoid them?
1: Biases are are tricky and they come up all the time. And and this is especially important in decision making because when, when business people are making decisions, they're often presented with data right? Uh, and we see this in the book, right? So a new study comes out that says that, you know, this this recently approved drug uh, is actually not that effective. And so Kamala's insurance company has to decide, should they continue to reimburse for that drug? Or should they remove it from their formulary? And, you know, this is a common common scenario where you're faced with, you know, one data point, and you have to decide how do you make sense of this? And, you know, this is where we talk about uh, unpacking a data point, right? Um, So that, you know, and the myth of the single study is basically the idea that, you know, one single study uh, conveys the truth, right? When in reality, a study can be wrought with biases and can be designed poorly, can be designed in a way such that the findings are manipulated. And so um, we talk about the levels of evidence, right, um, where the highest quality of evidence, especially in science, is, uh, you know, meta-analyses, right, studies of studies, right, that combine multiple studies together and and how, uh, you know, the most effective study designs are randomized experiments, right, where you can test the effect of an intervention when you have a control group, right. And so uh, one thing that's really important for business leaders to understand is um, things like causality versus correlation, um, right? And, uh, and understanding, okay, if I have a, if I have a question, uh, what is the right experiment to design to answer that question rigorously, right? And so business leaders who understand this can break through the noise, they can identify when a statistic is total BS, uh, and when it's actually, um, you know, reflecting some, some true signal,
0: Another thing we have to talk about is misuse of data and how much of your data should be given away, how you safeguard your data. What is your advice to leaders who want to protect their families, protect themselves, and just generally don't feel comfortable sharing data that they should not be sharing? What are your advice on how they should approach it personally and professionally?
1: Well, personally, I'll say that companies' most valuable assets uh, is their data right? The data, the proprietary data that they can collect uh, from their users and from their clients. And so as people, we have to recognize that every time we interface with some kind of system, they're trying to collect data on us uh, because that's how they build up their assets. You know, right now we're on a Zoom call. I'm sure if I had to take a guess that Zoom is somehow tracking something about this call, right? It might be the call duration. It might be the fact that we're recording this. It might be the time of day this call is happening. Uh, It might be, you know, your user ID, my user ID. So every company has huge incentives to build up these databases in-house of their users' data. And so as, as consumers, we should all be aware of that and recognize that whenever we interface, whether it's Zoom or just logging onto a computer or using email or a social media site, Uh, every company wants to collect data and it's up to us to decide, oh, do we feel comfortable sharing that data or do we not? Um, but that's the, that's the most important thing to realize as consumers, um, as businesses, I think, you know, one thing we keep seeing over and over is the, um, the risk of data breaches, right? Of course, you know, I was talking about how data is the most important asset, um, but losing that data can be catastrophic right and and so that's why it's so important for companies that deal uh, in data to invest uh, in security teams and um and data security right? Um, do you have uh, the safeguards in place to make sure that your data ecosystem is robust to uh, you know hacking attempts right do you have a security team that's conducting things like penetration testing uh, and making sure that, um you know uh, you know that your data is is secure and also an important piece of this is compliance right uh, making sure that you're abiding by the appropriate you know laws uh, that the government has set forth when it comes to data regulation and sometimes there's so and the, the legislation around this is evolving so fast that companies really do need to invest in you know compliance teams and comply legal compliance experts to make sure that Uh, you know, they're, they're operating uh, appropriately because last thing you want is to get audited. or last thing you want is for there to be a data breach. People start asking questions, investigating, they find out that you're not in compliance with all the laws. That can be really catastrophic.
0: That is very true. Is there something that you wish I asked you and I didn't?
1: I think, um, you know, one thing is if you're a, if you're a business person, if you're a non-technical person. thinking, okay, what can I do now, right? Like what's the next step that I can take here? Um, I would say, prepare for your next conversation with a data team member, right? And the way to prepare for that um, is by doing a a couple of things. Um, First is try to challenge some assumption. And usually you can do this by asking a question. Something like, you know, why did you choose to measure this variable? or you can ask, how is this defined, right? Or you can ask, um, how did you deal with missing data? Or how did you clean the data, right? These are just some basic questions that anyone can ask, right? And oftentimes the response you get can be very revealing, right? If you ask, um, why did you choose to track this variable? Why did you choose to measure this? Sometimes the answer you'll get is, I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes the answer you'll get is that's all we could find. Or sometimes the answer you'll get is, oh, that's what we thought was most appropriate. And that's when you as a business, as a domain expert, you can jump in and say, oh, well, I don't think that makes sense, right? If you ask, how is this defined? That's another great question, right? Because sometimes uh, the data people will, will think they're doing the right thing. They'll think they're doing a reasonable thing. They'll say, oh, you know, we decided to divide this by that and multiply by three and and take the square root. Um, but if it doesn't make sense to you as a business person, you need to call that out, right? Uh, because, you know, uh, there needs to be alignment there. So by anyone can ask these types of questions. And, you know, in the book, we have at the end of every chapter, a list of, you know, two or three dozen questions like these. Uh, that you can just pluck right out of there and and use in your next conversation uh, with data team. So that would be my my one uh, takeaway for people who are who are listening to this is just try asking qu- one of those questions the next time you talk to someone on your data team and just see what see how the conversation goes from there.
0: And don't accept responses that use a lot of jargon and words you don't understand. Make them explain it to you.
1: Exactly. If you can't understand it. It's not because you're dumb. (laughs) It's because they can't explain it well.
0: Exactly. Actually, the last question from me, my favorite question to ask, over the last few years, what were two, three aha moments, realizations that changed either the way you look at life or the way you look at business, but it really shifted the way you look at life or business?
1: One of those moments for me um, happened when I was in in Bolivia, uh, like, You know, I like I was telling you when we started out here and it was this really stark contrast where, you know, we would we would travel there with our group of volunteers and we'd stay in a nice place and literally just a 30 minute drive away. People's reality was totally different. Right. Similarly, uh, in my work in India. Right. We saw that people living in in wealthier areas uh, their health outcomes are just like those of, you know, you or I, you know, we're in the U S right. Just a short drive away. You have people who are, uh, you know, dying from preventable illnesses. Right. And so it was this realization that, um, yes, we can keep innovating, right. We can keep raising the ceiling higher and higher and higher coming up with new things, but the things that we already have, we haven't figured out how to get them to everyone yet, right? Uh, there are cancer therapeutics that people are using today in the U.S. and they're curing their cancer, but people in India can't access those, right? In the U.S. today, if you get tuberculosis, you get HIV, right? That's totally fine, totally manageable. But in other places, in sub-Saharan Africa, if you get these diseases, sometimes it's a death sentence, right? So th- this is what I was talking about regarding the delivery problem, and, and you know, I think... You can decide. You can be someone who wants to raise the ceiling. Uh, I've decided that I want to focus on raising the floor. Right. I want to make sure that everyone has access to uh, all the innovations that we've already made because there's so much amazing technology, so many amazing treatments and interventions that we have already that haven't made their way to everyone. So I think that was uh, you know an, an interesting framework that I. Uh, came upon raising the ceiling versus raising the floor um, that has shaped how I uh, look at my work.
0: I got goosebumps when you said it. It is powerful. Thank you for doing it. So this is a great place to end the session. Before we do that, where can our listeners learn more about you by your book?
1: I would direct them to winningwithdatascience.com. That's where you can find uh, more information about the book and, and more information about my work as well.
0: Thank you very much, Akshay. Thank you so much for doing the work that you're doing for the world and for all the great things you're still going to continue doing in your life. For everyone listening, check out the book. Akshay co-wrote it with Howard Stephen Friedman. One of the characters is named after Howard's middle name. And uh, the second character is named after Akshay's grandmother. So you already know some backstory. I think we kind of created curiosity and the book is called Winning with Data Science. And our podcast sponsor today is strategytraining.com. If you want to strengthen your strategy skills, you can get the overall approach using well-managed strategy studies. It is a free download. Go to firmsconsulting.com forward slash overall approach. Actually, thank you so much again for being here.
1: Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm looking forward to see you all guys next time.